Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to the show, everyone. For critically and chronically ill people, Food is Medicine opens a Harvard Law School Center for Health Law and Policy Innovation paper. This paper presented the case for nutritional counseling and medically tailored home-delivered meals. The report continues, With adequate amounts of nutritious food, people who are sick have a better response to medication, maintain and gain strength, and have improved chances of recovery. Ultimately, access to healthy food leads to improved health outcomes and lower health care costs. We know that poverty limits access to healthy foods and safe neighborhoods, and that more education is a predictor of better health. We also know that differences in health are striking in communities with poor social determinants of health, such as unstable housing, low-income, unsafe neighborhoods, or substandard education. These studies are accurate. No one that I know of doubts their accuracy or validity. However, most of these studies are taking place at the 30,000-foot view. I've invited my friend and my personal physician to the show today to talk to us about the state of health care, food as medicine, and innovative solutions to address food insecurity with his patients. Jerry, I can't wait for you to meet Dr. Robert Bouvier. You're going to love him. You will, too. So come back and be with all three of us in just a moment here on Food for Thought. Welcome back to Food for Thought, sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Food for Thought with Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight. And our guest today is Dr. Robert Bouvier. Now, I have to confess to you that he is uh, my doctor, and he's also my friend. And uh, that's the way it really should work. And uh, when I met Dr. Bouvier uh, years ago, uh, he said to me, I'm going to do three things for you. I'm going to keep you out of the emergency room. I'm going to stave off heart attack, high blood pressure, those kind of things, so that three, you can enjoy your life. And I have to tell you that Dr. Bouvier has done those things for me, and not only for me, but also for my son, Abel, my son, Austin, and now for another friend of mine that uh, just recently became a patient of yours, and that's Greg Butler. So, Doc, I got to say, welcome to Food for Thought. Well, thanks for inviting me. I sure appreciate it, and everything you say is uh, is true, and and you took responsibility for that, and so kudos to you for taking care of your health. Well, you're a great motivator, inspiration, and uh, I don't want to come back and see you when I haven't done what you told me to do. (laughs) (laughs) You mean that, you mean, you know, know, there's some people that need accountability, there's some people that need a brick up the side of the head. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to say which one you are. Right, right, I appreciate that. Right. We're, we're gonna, we're, for our listeners' sake, we're going to go with accountability. So, <laughs> Great. 
I mean, look at it this way. I have seen you naked before. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're not going to talk about that on the radio. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, Doc, I you met Jerry off the air, but Jerry Brisson is the CEO and president for Gleaners Community Food Bank. He's the chairman of the board for the Food Bank Council, which, of course, is the organization that I work for and serve. And also, you know, the, the reason that we're doing Food for Thought and so uh, the objective of this converse, of this show is to change the conversation about food insecurity across the state. And from the times that you and I have met and talked uh, in, in your office, and uh, we had to have excellent conversations about the, the impact of food security and uh, the innovations that you're undertaking with your patients and then also in other business ventures. And so I just thought that you would be a great person to have on Food for Thought because you're seeing the results of this at the ground level and, and the healthcare conversation and well. So let's just start right there and, um, and, and jump right in together. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your background and, um, and, and how you became, developed this philosophy about medicine that you have. You know, great question. I do want to get back to the, you know, how, how that all works and how it all interplays. How do you bridge food for thought and just food in general and how that goes to health? But basically for me, I've got a, you know, in, intensive care ER background, been practicing primary care for for uh, over 35 years now. And initially when I was an intern, I walked into the emergency room and I thought to myself, oh my word, there has to be a better way. That was a prayer, actually. Huh. And and I said, you know, there's, you know, what what is the foundation? What is the what is the crux of all this all this evil that goes on? And over the years, yeah, I have to say, it's diet and exercise. It's people like you taking responsibility and say, I I'm going to get this vessel that I that I have here and make sure that it is as best as it can be. And that's diet and exercise. And then all these other, and I can give you numerous examples about reversing diabetes and reversing hypertension and cholesterol, and just through diet and exercise. So my goal for people is really twofold. And if you're talking to anybody in our office, it's about, number one, help people stay out of the hospital emergency department, the highest cost of health care. That's 40 to 45% of all $3 trillion that we spend throughout care. And in fact, that's, that's, a, that's a budget that... Uh, would pay a whole lot of food for people, and we can talk about that later as well. Wow. And number two, to help people delay the onset of what's going to eventually kill them, stroke, heart attack, and cancer. If we can do that for 30, 40 years, that means get blood sugar, blood pressure, blood cholesterol under control. You do that, and you live for an extra 30, 40 years. And most people think, exercise, I don't want to exercise. Yeah, you do, because it's not that you're going to live longer, which you will. It's you're going to live better right now, today as you go through life. So that's, you know, that's our goal in life, and that's what I've been doing for 35 years, and that's what I'll be doing for another 25. Yeah, I love that when I walk into your office, the first person to greet me is uh, is your dog. <laughs> so it's that kind of place where it's, uh, you know, it's very friendly, it's relaxed. Uh, you know, you hear about doctors that, you know, say, oh, you know, they were in with me, they stayed about 90 seconds, then they were gone. Uh, Dr. Bouvier is not like that. He's not only your doctor, he's also your, he's in your life. He's your friend. And, um, and so I have to say that I appreciate what you've done for me and my family as well. And I wanted to get your perspective on some of these things. And, you know, you dove right in there. So we're spending $3 trillion, 
$3 trillion and about 40 to 45% of that is spent in the emergency room. And, uh, man, you're talking about, a, that's a, you know, it, that's a lot of food. And one of the things that Jerry says on this show quite often is that it's a lot cheaper to solve these problems in the beginning with food than it is to pay for the cost of health care afterwards. Sure. So, so, so food for thought, you know, in your conversations, it's this cholesterol, sugar, and pressure, blood pressure issues, right? Sure. Every one of those, you know, are reversible if somebody gets that. You know, and you can have conversations about reversing diabetes, but it always goes back to what your life has been all about, Philip, mm-hmm. about getting the right food in the people's hands that need it, but it's the right food, and you are always on that target, and, and that's, that's true. The question is, who's responsible and whose budget did that, does that come out of? And uh, I guess that's another conversation, right? And it continues to be one of the key topics that we're covering on the show. So we posit this, that food security is a solvable issue, that or food insecurity is a solvable issue. It can right. be solved. And, and part of the reason that we're doing the show is because we don't think any problem can be solved if people don't believe it can be solved. So we're trying to say, believe it, it can be solved. And one of the most important ways it can be solved is to understand better who has a vested interest in solving it, right? Who wins when the problem is solved? So we look at the triple aim of healthcare, lower cost, improve population health and improve patient health. That's the triple aim of healthcare. We put food in the middle of that triangle, healthy food, and we can't think of anything that's going to move those more. If you want lower costs, better population health, and better patient health, healthy food is going to move all three of those better and faster than anything else. That's one of the things that we say. So I want to hear from you, Dr. Bob. Do you agree? Absolutely, emphatically, 100% yes. So when can you I, think about... Can I qualify that? You, Absolutely. please do. Okay, so so if you look at all the medical journals and everything, every chronic disease that we have, the arthritis, the cholesterol problems, stroke, heart attack, the first line of medical treatment, the first line of medical treatment in all the medical books for the last five generations has been diet and exercise. Right? So if we've got a patient that has a diet of fast food, junk food, and whatever they can get, I mean, you know, no offense, but you go into most hospitals and, you know, the diabetic diet they give you is really not the diabetic diet. The cardiac diet they give you is really not the cardiac diet. So it's identifying, number one, who those who, who in the population need need that food and exercise and then you have to take each individual patient it's a per patient thing and that's what the patient doctor relationships about so in population health you guys at the food bank are doing absolutely great things in taking care of that particular population but it's identifying the population that, that at hand and then taking each individual and the only way to take each individual is is create and strengthen that patient doctor relationship and I think that's what healthcare reform is all about, strengthening the individual patient-doctor relationship, making that relationship accountable, responsible, right? Yep. And then creating authority with that relationship. And so many times 
you know, insurance companies and people, federal government, uh, people in general, want to take that authority away from that. But, you know, that entity, that patient-doctor relationship has to have the authority, responsibility, and accountability. If somebody is in that relationship that can't be all three of those, then they don't deserve to be treating that patient or, 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 or that group. They, they need to find somebody else for that, for, for that, for that patient. Well, let's continue this conversation on the other side of the break here, fellas. Dr. Jerry, Dr. Jerry Brisson. <laughs> Not Dr. quite. Dr. Robert Bouvier. Dr. Phil Knight. <laughs> the room is full today. We're going to come right back on Food for Thought. Dr. Bouvier, stay with us. We'll be right back. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Jerry Brisson, CEO at Gleaners and Chairman of the Board for the Food Bank Council. Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Dr. Robert Bouvier. And, Doc, I want to ask you, um, what are some of the changes that you've seen, uh, you said 30, 35 years of doing this, what are some of the changes that you've seen in healthcare, uh, both positive and not so positive? You know, Philip, that's a you know, you know, that's a really good question, and I, I have to tell you, we all love the United States of America. We have the greatest country in the absolute world. Our healthcare is is struggling right now, and if you go back historically in the 1950s. You know, 80% of my time as a doctor was spent seeing patients, writing prescriptions, diagnosing, prognosing, and taking care of patients one-on-one, face-to-face. Well, by, you know, the 1970s, it was about 50-50, and now, you know, kind of the pre-ACA, American you know, Accountable Care Act, you know, it was about 80-20, meaning that... 20% of our time was spent actually seeing patients and actually treating patients. The other 80% is spent with busy work and filling out paper and, you know, taking care of logistics. Now, today, as of today, it's 90% is taking care of paperwork and fighting the powers that be to get the right prescriptions for, for, for somebody to help people Number one, because our goal, what's our goal in healthcare? It's very simple. Help people stay out of the hospital emergency department. Number two, help them live longer and healthier. That's easy. That's, and nobody's going to disagree with that. But how we deliver that. And so the, the, the big healthcare reform, you know, is twofold. We have to, number one, empower the patient doctor relationship that is accountable, has authority and responsibility, but we have to take that. 90% of the time and the logistics and the paperwork that we're doing to get the, to take care of that and only 10% of the time spending time with the patient, we need to reverse that. We need to get back to 50-50 and then eventually back to that 80-20 again where 80% of our time as health practitioners is spent actually treating patients, helping them create health and goals. So let me ask a specific question related to food insecurity. As a practitioner, um, as someone who knows and, and appreciates your patients and, and as someone who cares about them as people, not just as numbers that you have to put in some computer system, if you could have one thing you don't have today for your patients that are coming in food insecure, you know they don't have enough food at home to feed themselves or their families, what one thing would you want in your toolkit that you don't have now? 
I'd like to be able to write a prescription to Philip Knight and his 1,500 distribution sites and say, throughout Michigan, how can I get food on this person's table on a regular basis? So we can scratch food off of our variability list, that it's not a problem. And if you could do that, if, if we waved a magic wand and in the next five minutes you could start writing prescriptions, how many do you think you would write in a week, a month, a year? <laughs> wow. Well, I'll tell you right now, I write about 80% of my prescriptions so far today and for this week has been for diet and exercise. And I would say 20% of those patients don't have the right food and the right access to food today. And I'm in a suburban area. If you go to our clinic downtown in the urban area in Flint, Pontiac, Detroit, it is just the opposite. 80% of the people do not have the right food at the right time you know, access to that. So, and I know I'm pushing right to points here, but so if you know that between 20 and 80% of the people that you're seeing who you're writing prescriptions for today need food in order for those prescriptions to work, need diet and exercise in order to hit the health goals that are going to keep them out of the hospital and living longer, if we know that, we know that those prescriptions could be filled by the thousands of partners in the food bank network. What's keeping that from happening? Why, isn't, why aren't we doing that right now? So if, if you're thinking one way and you want to think the other way, we have to intervene with the stakeholders, and the stakeholders would be all the people who are in responsibility. And when you can list all the stakeholders, and it starts with the patient, and the patient responsibility number one, but it also has to do with public health and the government. When, when, when we are seeing patients and trying to identify the transportation issues, the caregiver issues, you know, the physician-provider issues, we can talk all day about health care. But I'll tell you what. When we have a health care screening at a church or a, or a community center or whatever, but if I add food to that recipe, sometimes we get a hundredfold better response if we offer food. You know, I can pay wow. six hundred dollars for a big truckload of food, and I can, and, you know, and you know, without that, I, I can get ten or fifteen people in a health screening in a half a day. Wow. I offer food there and pull the truck up, and there'll be four hundred. Wow. Wow. Right? We've talked about that. Um, you know, i got to so, get sick more often so I can see him more. So the long answer to the question, <laughs> the, long answer, the short answer to the question is just have more and more of these, these health screenings and, and, and have food available and make it more aware that, that, that here you go. I mean, in my office, if, if it's downtown Flint, Pontiac, Saginaw, or Detroit, I, I, you know, it, it, I have a 50% no-show rate. I guarantee you, if the food truck is there, and at the end of that health visit, they're getting food for the day, I'm going to have 90, 95% compliance. So we did a project with the Greater Lansing Food Bank in Lansing um, to, to illustrate this. And the bottom line is uh, they picked a, a health screening that was not diet-related, um, reimbursable by the Affordable Care Act, and the the attendance based on their previous numbers rose seventy four percent. 
when, when no we, surprise to me. Yeah, when we combined the food distribution with the with the with the health screening. Um, so, uh, just to follow up on Jerry's question there, Doc, um, let me let me say this phrase to you, and then I want you, I just want to get your reaction to that. And that phrase, um, I, I'm quoting a, a Harvard uh, paper white paper about uh, about food and uh, health care. And simply that phrase is three words, and it says, food is medicine. Oh, boy. You're talking to the choir here. Food mm-hmm. is medicine. So the foundation of our body, right, is all about what we put into it, what we breathe into it, what we pray about, what we read about, what we learn about, what we educate ourselves about. So what we put in is, is what we can put out. So if we put good stuff in, I can reverse diabetes, reverse hypertension, reverse cholesterol issues. Um, all that good stuff that we can put in, it is all about food as medicine. Like I said before, the, if you look in my Harrison's book, my World Health Organization book, the number one medical treatment for all the chronic diseases, all the chronic diseases, is diet, number one, and exercise, number two. Then it's all the medications, and if you take supplements, that's all, that's all third down the line. Right. Health and stability of health, not just from a personal health, but from public health, begins and ends with food as medicine. That's an awesome answer. Thank you, Doc. We're going to continue the conversation here on Food for Thought with Dr. Robert Bouvier, Jerry Brisson, and I will be right back in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back on WJR with Food for Thought. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson, with our guest, Dr. Robert Bouvier. Doc, um, I I, I know we've got a a place we want to go here in this segment, but I have to tell you that that Jerry was having a conversation with some chief medical officers. I'm not going to tell this exactly right, so you're going to have to fix the story, Jerry. (laughs) But you were having a conversation with a chief medical officer, and you asked them the question about, a big hospital somewhere here in Detroit area. How many prescriptions do you write in this hospital that say take with food? And what was the answer? Yeah, more than 70%. More than 70%. But our emphasis is not just take with food, but take with the right food, the best food, the sure. highest quality food, not the food that someone at the poverty line might not be able to afford otherwise Correct. and the impact that that has on health. So I just I thought that was a pretty outstanding figure to just piggyback the last segment that about over 70% of the prescri- uh, prescriptions that are written in a huge hospital here in the Detroit area are saying take with food. Yeah. I guess that kind of covers whose budget it comes out of, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it a healthcare issue. Yeah. Right? Well, and you you've said this Jerry before too uh, that I, there are some groups that are screening for food insecurity, and that's good. That's great. I'm gonna, but you've talked about it more in terms along along Doc's philosophy here at healthy food as a as a part of the as part of the 
Yeah, the three things that we think we can impact in healthcare: hospital stays and readmissions, chronic disease treatment and prevention. All food has a huge impact on all three of those things. And uh, and so, of course, proving it and, and knowing exactly what that impact is, is part of our impetus. And it sort of leads to, I think, what the next question is to you, Doc, and that is, so tell us who's actually won when this has been solved for them. You know, how did they win? Yeah, well, when is a part question. of the treatment plan? That's what you say. Yeah. Great. Yeah, great question. And, you know, I'm, if, if it's okay, I'd like to give you like four or five scenarios because the result is all the same. You know, the 12-year-old that's, that's 40% body fat and he's already diabetic hmm. or she's already diabetic. That's the 12-year-old, right? We see it all the time. Never happened before 40, before 30 years ago, but now it's happening all the time at 12 years old. Then we've got the, you know, the 25-year-old, you know, mother of one who's struggling to, you know, lose that piece of weight, but also have bring good food to her table, and she's, you know, you know, 70 pounds overweight. You know, she's 215, let's say, and then you know, then the guy at 46 who's got hand pain. It looks like he's got rheumatoid arthritis, but his cholesterol's way out of whack, and he's 350 pounds or even 250 pounds. Um, and who's who's got? And I've got examples of every one. These are actual patients of mine. Okay, and then we've got the busy executive, who's who's pretty fit. Maybe he has to lose ten pounds, but cholesterol and blood sugar, you know, still on the edge. They're kind of in that pre-diabetic range, you know. And then we've got you know the the college student who is is kind of struggling with their weight. They, they gained 30 pounds, and now they have a cholesterol issue. And maybe even their blood pressure's up, and maybe they're pre-diabetic as well. So each one of these people, you know, are happening. And I'll take the, the, the 46-year-old. You know, he's 350 pounds. He's, we, we, we put him on a, a basically a vegan diet. I said, you, and a vegan would be a pure vegetarian diet. And, and you have to be gluten-free and lactose-free because the foods that we have many times, you know, are pro-inflammatory. So we put him on an anti-inflammatory Mediterranean diet, and you know, three weeks later, this, the massive swelling on his hands have have reduced. He's off his methotrexate and Plaquenil. He's he's uh, lost probably 30 pounds at this point, more like it, and his pain is reduced by 50 percent. And nearly every marker, inflammatory marker in his body, you know, goes to normal. The HCRP, the sed rate. The homocysteine level goes back to normal. You know, the you know the twelve-year-old that comes in, you know, in, in, in into you know the clinic. He we we put him on the same Mediterranean diet, anti-inflammatory diet. Um, we we have him critically for all five of these people. It's number one, and anybody listening here, you have to do this every day. Number one, drink a liter of water in the morning. Add lemon, ginger, maybe a little honey to it, but add one liter. Just take one liter in, in the morning. It'll take away your sugar cravings and get you started in the right direction. Go to go to my web, website, Doctor and You, and you can learn a little bit more about that. Um, take the you know the twenty-ish year old mom who's got fifty pounds over. Same exact deal. Their inflammatory markers are coming up. They're, you know, the pre-diabetes is coming up. We put them on the anti-inflammatory Mediterranean diet. Go to Dr. Weil, W-I-E-L, 
uh, YouTube. Look at look at his YouTube thirty minute YouTube on real foods. You'll learn about it. Learn about glycemic index, glycemic load. You'll see the videos about that on YouTube. Um, that's where I send all five of these people, and both the caregivers, the, you know, the mothers and fathers of the younger ones, and then also the accountability partners. Like you know what I'm talking about there, right. there Philip. You create a father, a mother who can be accountable to their 22, 25 year old um, you, a husband for the for the wife, uh, you know, wife for the husband who's you know that accountability partner. You create that scenario, and these people with the Mediterranean diet, with the anti-inflammatory, you know, suddenly get better. Wow! All so, five of those people, same diet, create accountability, drink the water the first thing in the morning graze all day, eight to ten times per day, you lose the weight, inflammation goes down, the prediabetes goes, you know, after you hit, you know, a, a body body mass index of 27% or better, and for men, uh, a, a, a less than a 40-inch waist, and for women, less than a 35-inch waist. And for men, it's really 38-inch waist. But <laughs> Yeah, of course, that's what the doctor's going to say. Right. <laughs> yeah, but if you, if, if you go and use the technology that we have available to us today. I call it UTI, using technology the way it was intended, UTI. <laughs> great. You, you use YouTube. You use these great information that's out there. And Andrew Wild, W-I-E-L-M-D, go to, you know, you know, go to his, his, his YouTube channel and start looking at his YouTubes about glycemic index, glycemic load, become an expert. Anybody who wants to, to, to lose weight, get rid of the inflammation, reverse their diabetes, you know, you know improve their longevity, you know, go to his website and learn about those two things, insulin resistance and glycemic index, glycemic load. In Europe, the glycemic index and glycemic load is listed on all foods there, on their food label. Wow. Yep. In the United States, we don't have that yet, but that's one of the things we need to change. Absolutely. So, so I, all five of those scenarios, all five of those people get better with this diet. So there's a living example in the studio with us today, and uh, that's my son, Abel who you yeah. treat, and uh, Abel, I'm going to get you to pull up to the microphone a little bit and just uh, just quickly say what you experienced when working with uh, with Roger and Dr. Bouvier in regard to these same issues, pre-diabetic issues that, uh, that, that, that you've encountered. Hey, Doc, how you doing? Very good. Glad uh, to hear your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, as my dad and you talked about, I was the 22-year-old that you guys diagnosed with pre-diabetic and actually fatty liver disease. So how, and so changing your diet as Doc provided and me being your accountability partner. (laughs) 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 Uh, But it was tough to do it because you were away at school. It was tough to do there, but, um, but you've, you've had some success and. Yeah, Yeah, but I think one of the critical things there, Philip is that we partnered with the people at his school. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we used the community resource that he was in at the time. That's Western, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it was MCTI. Okay. So we used, we partnered with, with, with the people at your school, and you were able to implement that process. And how much weight did you lose? Uh, I lost probably around 30 pounds. There you go. And... What happened to those pre-diabetic indicators? Uh, they went away completely. Nice, huh? What about that fatty liver? Uh, it's g- starting to reverse, uh, but I'm still working on it. So, so what you've done? So, what? What? So, we talk about fatty liver and, and pre-diabetes, but what you did is now you can feel better, live better while you're living 
but you just added 20, 30 years on your life. That's a good thing, because I want him around to take care of me. of diabetes <laughs> for probably 30 years here by doing that. Yeah. Great. Abel, thanks for helping, for volunteering to share that story, or voluntolding to share your story here <laughs> with, with Doc. So we've got about 30 seconds left. Jerry, give you the last word here. So uh, really just this. Um, food banks are learning with our network of partners, thousands of partners throughout the state of Michigan, to be accountability partners in this, too. We're doing nutrition education. We're, we're, we're helping people understand the impact of diet. We know that food banks have a big role to play because of the millions of pounds of food that low-income people are getting from us every year. And what you've said uh, really reinforces that work that we're doing. And, and is a key part of what we think innovation has to look like. So I really appreciate your your words today and your stories and your thoughts about this issue. It's so important to the work that we're doing now. Jerry, thank you very much for inviting me. I've I got to tell you, you guys keep on doing the great work you're doing. I am so impressed to how, how willing you guys are to go out and fix this problem. Well, great, Doc. It's super to have you on the show. Thanks for those kind words. And uh, we are. We're going to stay at it. We're going to keep changing the conversation. And uh, we're going to stay rock solid believing that food security is a problem that we can solve together across our state. He's Dr. Robert Bouvier. Doc, how does everybody find you? Go to robertbouvier.com. B-O-U-V-I-E-R. One word. There you are. Dr. Robert Bouvier. Thanks for being on Food for Thought with us, Doc. Thank you. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Dr. Robert Bouvier was our guest today. Jerry, and I told you, you were going to love him. And, of course, I did, and it's easy to love him. He's got such passion. Um, He cares so deeply and obviously for the people that he's treating, and he's trying to find the best solution so they can live not just longer but better. Yeah. Right. And of course, both of those things are things that everybody wants. And uh, and it's it was just great to hear his perspective on how food impacts people's lives. Well, he he uses it as a tool in his toolbox, more so than anyone else that I'm acquainted with. Now, I don't know every doctor in in uh, in Michigan, but I know that Dr. Bouvier believes that access to healthy food is a great tool, a big tool in the healthcare toolbox. And of course, part of the way we're trying to innovate across the food bank network is to learn how do we partner better with healthcare so that we can bring that tool to the table, right? So many people in healthcare say this is the first problem they would like to help people solve, but they don't know how. So even screening for um, food insecurity, which is just basically asking, hey, how are things going? Are Are you getting enough food in your home. I mean, it's it's right. not a complicated thing to do, but people are afraid to even ask the question because if they find out someone needs food, what do they do then? Yeah, how do they solve that problem? Which is one of the nuances that I like about your approach. When you, I mean, the the food insecurity screening is great. It's fine. I'm no criticism here, but I like how you say it. When food, access to healthy food, is included in someone's treatment plan. Yeah, and so the difference is 
You know, if someone is low income and they have a health issue, they are probably food insecure. It's it's nearly 100% likely. So you said that really fast, but I saw you say that in a presentation that you and I did to the Michigan Health Council a couple of weeks ago, and I saw jaws drop. Say that again. Yeah, that if someone is low income and has a chronic health concern, they are more than likely, if not 100% likely, food insecure. I think you could go emphatic with that yeah. statement. And so so what that says, though, is that food becomes part of a treatment plan. It, it It's critical not only to make sure their medications work, as we said earlier on this show, about 70%, maybe, you know, depending on the issues understood, but a, a whole lot, well over the majority of prescriptions written, say, take with food. So food has to be part of a treatment plan. And if you approach it from that perspective, your patients aren't going to feel needy. They're going to feel, oh, I never thought of food being part of my treatment plan. So giving them healthy food isn't a charitable act as much as it is an act in helping them overall treat what they want to treat so they can be healthier. Great thoughts, my friend. Thank you. So here are two quotes to offer you some food for thought about the topic of our show today, food, health, health care, and food security. Hippocrates is perhaps the history's most famous physician. By rejecting superstition in favor of scientific observation, by classifying diseases, and by creating a set of moral and professional standards for physicians, he earned the title of Father of Medicine. He also gave the world the Hippocratic Oath, a code of ethics for physicians which is still taken by many graduates at many modern medical schools today. And he said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. But leave it to Mother Teresa to put the cookies on the lower shelf so we can all understand our moral imperative as it relates to the challenge of hunger for the poor and the unhealthy. Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Thank you for joining Food for Thought and being a part of our show as we change the conversation about food insecurity from the impossible to what's possible. Thanks again and good night. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.